0: Hello everybody and welcome to the next episode of You Can't Handle the Truth. In today's episode we will be talking about, drumroll please, Fast and Furious 9. This will be the spoiler review so if you haven't seen it I'd suggest going to watch it because what can I say it's an absolute delight. It's just ridiculous and stupid and insane and the most far-fetched piece of cinema probably in existence but it's incredible and it's mesmerizing, and this will be a largely positive review, but it could also be an extremely negative review, because everything that happens is kind of bad, and very stupid, but it's just so amazing, it's honestly so amazing, I'm just in awe of how much I love this film, I really don't understand, because it shouldn't be good, it should not be this good, but it is, I'm just, I'm, I really am speechless, so first things first, as the tense or ninth official in the main franchise, 10th if you count Hobson Shaw, as a 10th entry into this fast franchise, it's evident that they really think bigger is better, and they have no signs of slowing down anytime soon, hence the name, but in this film we actually get a lot more backstory into Dominic Toretto, and you know how he, I don't want to say how he became who he is, because he's literally just a man, and well I mean is he a man, because he sounds like a car engine half the time, But yeah, let's go with man So we kind of get a lot of exposition in flashbacks about what he's been through and this has only really been explained in odd bits of dialogue throughout the saga before. In the very first film he tells Brian O'Connor about how he beat a man half to death with a wrench and he got sent to jail for it and in this film we actually see that and we see his dad's untimely death whilst racing. I did like that flashback sequence the film opens with that and it's set in 1989 which yeah the the timings of this film really make no sense because 1989 would be 12 years before the very first film and if you're telling me that in that 12 year space of time this younger Dominic Toretto has changed his race and gotten younger and turned into Vin Diesel then okay I'm here for that but the very first thing I want to talk about is how they didn't de-age Vin Diesel. I like that I like the fact they didn't choose to just CGI his face because that would have been the stuff of Nightmares if they had tried to make Vin Diesel look younger. They just recast Dom as a younger guy and I'm here for that. It does get a little bit annoying because every single younger counterpart of characters that we've grown up with in this franchise, they wear exactly the same sort of clothes we've seen them wear before. They have the exact same swagger and style as what we've seen them have before. They're exactly the same person, just a different actor. And it's the cheapest thing to do for films like this, and I've seen it done in Star Wars before. When the screenwriters struggle to think, how can we write this character for people to understand it's the same character, just younger? Let's just give them exactly the same clothes, make them look exactly the same, just a different person. You know, it happens in the latest Star Wars trilogy, when we see a younger Ray. She's wearing exactly the same clothes with exactly the same hairstyle that she has when she grows up. It's as if the writers think the audience is so dumb, we need to see this association to know it's the same person. We don't need to. If we can hear their name, if we can see a few characteristics that are the same, we will understand that. We don't need to see complete full association by making them look exactly the same, You know, as if they have not changed their style once throughout their life. They've just been wearing the exact same clothes, speaking like that from a very young age. Like, if Vin Diesel was saying, FAMILY, since he was a tiny child, I would be just very disturbed. We aren't done. We don't need to see this much association. We can make these connections by ourselves, and Hollywood needs to understand this, because it's happening in every single franchise, in most movies even. But anyway, I digress. The film opens with a flashback, and it's a nice little race. Well, it's not a nice little race, because his dad dies. But still, this is the very first time we are introduced to Jacob Toretto, who happens to be Dom's brother, that through nine movies, we have not seen him, we've not heard about him. And when I was doing a rewatch of all the old films, there are several times that make this a huge plot hole. In Fast and Furious 4, when Mia is worried that Dom's gonna go to jail, she says to him, how can you say goodbye to your only brother? If she, (sighs) okay, she has another brother, And she knows about the other brother my understanding okay i watched these films before seeing nine for the first time so i was thinking okay maybe dom's the only person that actually knew about jacob maybe he hid it from mia his sister but it turns out no she knew she knew And she still said, how do you say goodbye to your only brother? You don't because you have another brother, love. You know, it it doesn't make any sense to me. I could make a joke about how because the brother is John Cena, he has been there the entire time. It's just that nobody could see him. But, you know, that, that joke's been done to death. It's still funny. I still like the joke, but I can't say it. So, yeah, Jacob and Dom are working with their dad at this NASCAR race and it doesn't end well for him, and Jack Toretto, his dad, dies. And then this kind of sets the course of, I wouldn't say revenge or vengeance, but kind of a deeper understanding of Dom as a character, and how he's now a father, and the film then cuts to him working on a car with his son. The transition to get here is horrible. It's so horrible. It could have been done in so many other ways. This would have been the perfect time to have the title card come up, In every other movie there's been like a little scene beforehand and then Fast and Furious in a title card and then it cuts to the modern day and they just get on with things. In this film it doesn't do that and I can't help but feel like this film would genuinely be improved if that happened. It's just a slight little thing I would change because the cut is so harsh and so bad it it, honestly it's like they weren't even trying It's like they weren't even trying. So at the end of the flashback, it's starting to zoom in on Dom's crying face as he watches his dad in an exploding car on fire. And then it just cuts. The music, it's literally like somebody snipped the music. That's the best way to describe it. They've just snipped it. They haven't faded it out or faded it in or anything like that. They just, they snip it. And then it's just a shot of Vin with his now son working on a car. And it, it... why? I I know to most that isn't going to seem like a big deal, but I did not like that cut. I really did not like that cut. Fortunately, the editing gets a lot better. It gets a lot better throughout the film, and the editing is one thing that really holds it together. Somehow, I really don't know how, because the editing hasn't been worth mentioning before in these types of films, but it is really good. But the next 15 minutes or so is just really strange it's struggling to find its footing a bit we're introduced to the gang again and we are pretty much just given an insane amount of exposition to set the whole story up so mr nobody's plane has gone down cypher the villain from the previous movie was on it he's crashed in this country i've never heard of monte Quinto. never heard of that in my life i don't even know if it's a country it could be just a place in south america but yeah i've never heard of that ever so Kudos to the Fast and Furious franchise for going to these random places. Because they go to a place at the end. I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, but it's spelled T-B-I-L-S-I Tbilisi. Is the T silent? Is it just Bilisi? I've never heard of that. I've never heard of this place before. I don't even know what continent it's in. But like I said, kudos to the team for going to these places. I mean, maybe it's where the budget could allow. I do not know but they've gone everywhere before. They've gone to London, they've gone all around America, they've gone to Germany, they've gone to Cuba, they went to Russia or Iceland, wherever that was. Yeah, they've been everywhere. Oh, they went to Chernobyl in Hobson Shore. They went to Chernobyl. So yeah, there's nowhere left to go, so they have to go to these random obscure places that nobody's ever heard of. But the scenery looks nice. The scenery does look nice. It's just everything that's happening especially at the start it doesn't feel right it really does something not quite sitting right okay they find the plane wreck and everything is just dead silent there's nobody around they literally say there's not a soul in sight 20 seconds later there's gunshots everywhere they're being attacked from all angles there's a massive ambush there's about 50 bad guy cars coming out there's a couple of helicopters where was this a minute ago where was this half a minute ago? It was just nowhere, they were just lurking, and it makes no sense. And then they're chased away, they find this mysterious device thing, I still don't know how it works, but actually that's kind of cool when they reveal how it works. But still, they find the device, that's all this movie is really, it's the same plot as every other film before it, from Seven onwards. There's a device that does bad things, they have to stop it from getting into the wrong hands, at one point it does get into the wrong hands, but then they have to get it back, and then they save the day. That's exactly what happens with God's Eye in Fast and Furious 7. It's exactly what happens with the EMP thing in Fast and Furious 8. It's exactly what happens with the serum in Hobbs and Shaw. It's exactly what happens in this. Only this time it's called Ares. And it's... DNA encoded and encrypted and it's kind of cool but I still don't know what this actually does it they just say it resets the world order of things and you can launch anything from anywhere but that just it's just confusing it makes no sense and at one point it seems like they are going on their own little Avengers Infinity War mission trying to get all the stones because there's two pieces of this thing to get as well as the key So they each have to go off and do their own thing. And it's like, is this really turning into an Avengers film? Yes, but it kind of works. Anyway, back to the very start. See, I'm talking about all of this. and I haven't even reached the 15 minute marker yet. So they're in the jungle and Roman is being chased down. He's running... I'd like to point out that he's running and he's being chased in a car by about a dozen bad guys all shooting at him with AKs and not a single one hits him. Not a single person in that big truck shoots him. He just runs like it's nothing. And then he's surrounded by these bad guys in this temple type place. And I don't know if it's the music, I don't know if it's the cinematography, but he turns around and he shoots everybody. And it's really gritty handheld type display and I like that because it reminded me of something from the raid but there is no impact it's like he's shooting airsoft bullets there's just no impact there is nothing he's shooting everybody you keep hearing a pop 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 that gun should not make a pop sound it sounded fake as hell and he shoots everybody and they all just whimper and fall over and die and he hasn't got a single shot in him or he has because his jacket's smoking but he's only got a bulletproof vest over his main torso his arms are completely free and he's got bullet holes in his arms and his sleeves his arms are free he's got no bulletproof arm shields he's got holes in his jacket but he's not bleeding he's not shot that makes no sense that makes no sense so i was really confused at this point and then there's a bit of a car chase which is okay it's quite cool And then we finally see Jacob in the flesh, now older and having turned into John Cena. But the very first shot of him we see, we see this mysterious guy get out of a car and the camera pans up and we see him from his back on. So we only see the back of his head and his proper back by his shoulders. But he's wearing a necklace and the necklace is swung around his neck and it's showing that it's the same necklace that Dom wears. It's the cross. We do not need to see that because this is the audience once again being treated as if they're a child, we need to know this association, we don't, we really don't, we know what the story is because later on, like literally five minutes later, they're gonna say Jacob is Dom's brother and that was Jacob, so we do not need to see that this guy wearing the necklace, that's already a relation to Dom, we don't need to see that, it distracts you from the element of surprise and it's actually quite annoying because if we didn't see that, And we just thought, it's just a person with his back turned to us. We'd be like, okay, who's this guy? Especially if you haven't seen the trailers, you'd be like, okay, who's this? Who's this? But you see the necklace and you're thinking, great, that's a relation to Dom. We don't need to see that. You know, we are being treated as if we need to be spoon-fed everything. We don't, we really don't. This is the ninth movie in a franchise that has done nothing but spoon-feed us. We do not need any more, I'm full. I'm honestly full. And then there's a longer car chase, and then the device gets into the hands of Jacob, and then Dom has to chase Jacob. And then there's a whole magnet plane situation, and Jacob drives off a cliff. He gets caught midair. Makes no sense, but damn, is it cool. It is so cool. And then there's a bridge. Well, there was a bridge, then there isn't a bridge, then there's a bridge, but not quite a bridge, but they are driving across the not quite a bridge. Yeah. They're driving across a bridge that's simultaneously disintegrating and collapsing. I'm not even going to talk about the physics of that because this film completely disobeys the laws of physics, which is ironic because at the very end of the film, during the main action sequence, Tej says, As long as we obey the laws of physics, we're fine. They have done nothing but disobey the laws of physics for the previous two hours. Okay, don't start telling me you're going to obey the laws of physics when we've just seen this. You know, that makes no sense. But anyway, sure, it looks cool, looks totally cool, but it would never happen. It it was completely ridiculous. And at this point, at this point, you've just got to roll with it. I was honestly thinking I'm really not going to enjoy this film when it came to this stage. But then, then the car swing happens. And I don't know how to describe it, but it's like Tarzan with a car That's the best way to describe it, is Tarzan, but with a car. Dom drives straight towards the broken bridge. There's just a random pole with the rope stuck to it. He drives straight into it, smashes it down, locks the wheel. The rope gets caught in the tyres, and they swing across the canyon. It's ridiculous, but it's so cool. It's so... Oh my goodness. It's amazing. (laughs) It is amazing. I've never seen anything as stupid and as ridiculous as this, but it's the most fun, it's just so incredible, it really is, so at this point, at this point I'm just thinking, yeah I'm here for it, You've you've got to turn your brain off, you've got to turn your brain off, leave it at the door, and just go with it, because it's so fun, and it's so incredible to behold i've never seen a film that's been this fun in so long it's honestly been an insane amount of time between seeing just dumb stupid leave your brain at the door films and this is exactly what the world needs right now exactly what it needs so the casting happens and then it goes a bit quiet for about 20 minutes 30 minutes we get a few dialogue scenes which are okay they're quite funny sometimes Oh, and there's a bit when Roman talks to Tej about how he thinks they're not normal and he thinks they may be invincible. And the way it's set up, I was honestly believing it. And I feel like such a schmuck for believing it because he made a really compelling argument. He says, have you ever thought about all the wild missions we've been on and how we somehow always survive? There's not a scratch to show for it. We just keep surviving all these insane things how is it possible, we're not normal, and Tej agrees with him, he's like, you know, if you test a hypothesis again and again, and you come to the same conclusion, it's fact, and then Ramsey goes, you're not suggesting you're invincible, are you, and he goes, maybe, and at this point, I'm thinking, maybe, like, is this going to be a big twist, like, they're actually super, (laughs) superheroes, (laughs) are they really invincible, and then that scene is entirely cut short by Tej going, maybe you're just a dumbass, and now I feel like a dumbass because I was believing it. <laughs> Maybe I'm just the kind of dumbass that wants to believe this thing because everything that happens makes no sense, but I want to believe that there's some higher power going on here. But I did feel like such a dumbass for believing that. But it was hilarious. And it... I wouldn't rule out in the future. I would not rule out the possibility that these guys are genuinely invincible somehow. But anyway... Film goes on and we get a few more flashback sequences. A couple of them I'm not a fan of because we've already heard about it before. Like, it's nice to get this proper look at what happened, but when we've already been told about it, it's as if they're catering to an audience that hasn't been paying attention to the previous films, which granted I don't think the writers have either. Yeah, I, I don't really need to see what happens. However, There's a really, really cool flashback, and I love it. When Dom just gets out of jail, he finds out that the cause of his dad's crash was mainly due to his brother tampering with the car engine before the race. And so Dom shows up to. sort of race war scenario he turns up to a street race against his brother and it's such a cool race it really is it's set in the 90s so there's some amazing hip-hop elements going on in the background but at this point you do see younger variants of the older characters so you see a young mia a young letty and two characters from the first film you see jesse and oh i cannot remember the other guy's name But you see young Jesse and Jesse's only in the first film but all you remember from Jesse is he wears like a beanie, he has his hands in his pockets, he's hunched over a little bit, he's awkward, that's exactly what this younger actor cast as Jesse is doing, he's wearing exactly the same stuff, he's looking exactly the same, we do not need to see this, we don't need to know that that's just young Jesse because of his association, we do not need to see that, but anyway the race happens, it's great, Don wins the race, Jacob is forced to leave and never return, and that's what sets John Cena off in a vendetta against his brother for casting him out like that. Because you never turn your back on family, as they mentioned for the umpteenth time, and now Jacob's back in the picture, and he's stronger than Don, better than Don, faster than Don. He's trying to one-up his brother in every way, and he's on a mission to try and get the next piece of Project Ares, which happens to be in Edinburgh and the Edinburgh scene is terrific, the Edinburgh scene is one of the best scenes in the entire franchise, it is so fun, and so well shot, and it ends with one of the biggest laughs, and the most ridiculous things I've ever seen, it's just, it's insane, it's so good, so there's a whole chase around Edinburgh, and it's so silly, because John Cena is just ziplining across Edinburgh, and Having been to Edinburgh I do know that he changes direction about half a dozen times cuz it seems like he's going in a straight direction just from A to B straight line through Edinburgh but he's clearly changing direction because of the streets are different and there's no way you can get from the castle all the way down to Princes Street in one swoop like that just doesn't work you know it really doesn't so this was funny but it was just yeah it was almost like he goes in a massive U turn around the city. Maybe that is what happened, but the zip lines are straight. So there's no way he turned at any point it made no sense in the meantime Dom's on the ground driving around and it's beautiful to see it's so lovely to see him driving around the city and then he finally catches up to Jacob he climbs up to the rooftop he goes and chases him there's a bit of a fight I'll admit the fight is a bit lackluster because the only real fight between these brothers is this scene and it's only really in one little area and it does feel choreographed to an extent because there's the whole situation behind the scenes of these films about power and about how much a person can hit and get hit. And so every time Dom takes a punch, John Cena then takes one. And then whilst John Cena gets rammed through the side frame of a door, he then rams Dom through the upward frame of the door. So it's like you get hit, I get hit, two punches is a kick. Head butt is two punches, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of counting going on. There's gotta be an equal balance, there's gotta be that equilibrium within these fights, and I just wanna see them beat the hell out of each other, to be honest. And we do get that a little bit, but then John Cena just jumps out of a window, and it's pretty cool because he jumps onto a bus and the timing of that to know there's a bus exactly there is incredible. And then Dom follows him, and then they fight some more. But then John Cena gets into a car, and my favorite thing is how the Scottish person that John Cena pulled out of his car. He just goes, that's my car, pal. Even when you're getting robbed of your car, you still call him a pal. You'd expect them to be angrier, but he's really not. And it's just funny. It's just such a one-off line, I love it, and then there's a bit of a car chase again, of course, this film is just constant car chases, but I love it, that's exactly what this film should be, and then, and then how to even describe this, I've skipped over a whole plot point about magnets in this, but yeah, magnets come into effect, and there's a magnet in the back of this van that Ramsey is driving, and so John Cena's going down one road, Ramsey and the gang are going down another road and as they're driving alongside each other but either side of buildings they crank up the magnet the car then gets flipped straight through the building and into the back of the van it's ridiculous it's so messed up and so crazy but it's just one of the most amazing things I've ever seen and it genuinely made me laugh out loud so much because that is exactly what you want to see in cinema you just want to be lost. You just want to be transported. And it was ironic because before this film came out, there was a trailer released about getting back to the movies and how Dom... I'm just calling him Dom now, but it was Vin Diesel. It wasn't even Dom. Vin Diesel was saying, we all come to the movies to escape. We love it when the lights go down, the projector ignites, and we believe. And I'm thinking, that's funny that we believe because we're then watching Fast and Furious, which is the most unbelievable film that could come out. And yet I was believing... I don't know how it happened, I don't know how they managed to do it, but I was a believer. For the 2 hours and 20 minute run time, I was a believer in this film, and I really did not think that was going to be possible, because I did think this was going to be a step too far, and at times it really was, but god damn it, it was glorious. I feel like we should talk about the elephant in the room as well. Han returns. I don't know why Han actually returns, because they just kind of cover up his death as... A Mr. nobody trick which fair enough it it makes sense to an extent but there wasn't a real need to have him back I did like how he came back I thought his introduction was fantastic and that whole scene in Tokyo with Mia and Letty going to discover what the whole situation was with Han's death I really liked how that action sequence was framed how it was shot the editing is so smooth. You see every single punch landed, so many films nowadays, the action sequences are so choppy, they edit it so harshly, it's like cut, punch, cut, punch, cut, punch, every single time a punch is landed it cuts to a shot reversing around them to then see the impact, I want to see the whole thing play out, I don't care if it looks sort of fake if you can't properly see the landing of the punch, but I would rather see that happen than not being able to see what's going on in a scene, because it's so choppily edited. And that's what happens in so many films, especially Black Widow. But Fast and Furious nailed it. They nailed the action scene. It was nicely lit. It wasn't bright, but it didn't have to be because the lighting was perfect. There was some neon lighting in the street that was projecting through the windows, and there was a couple of lights in the room. It was great. The other thing I love about this action sequence is how the women are fighting men, and this is such a small detail, but I love it, because if you name any movie where there's a strong female character that's having a fight sequence, the chances are she's going to be fighting another woman, and in this film, it's three women against a bunch of men, and I love that, because I'm fed up of films that just rely on women to just fight other women, you know, I want to see there be that equal balance of just people fighting, I don't care about who they are, I just don't want to see women wasted in that role for the sake of being up against another woman, you know, the exact thing happened earlier in the franchise, which I love to see how far the franchise has come now, because you look at Fast and Furious 6, when Letty is up against the character played by Gina Carano, those two are fighting, okay, there's a bunch of men in the group, but the fight we see is between these two women and it just seems as though they're separating them from the main story in favor of just having those two face off each other because they're women and i'm sick of seeing this happen again and again and again in so many films but with fast and furious 9 women aren't afraid to punch men and men aren't afraid to punch women it's brutal but it's great you know the fighting is brilliant and i'm so glad that we actually get to see mia do a bit more in this film because throughout the franchise all she's really done is be there for the main male character but now we see her stand up for herself and we see her kick ass and I loved that I really did enjoy that aspect and then as the scene ends with a random sniper taking out the rest of the guys the lighting keeps flickering you see the camera slowly pan up and hands there the music elevate. It gave me chills. It gave me literal chills. And I really wish they had hidden that aspect from the trailer. Because if we didn't know that Han was coming back, that reveal would have blown the roof off of cinemas. It would have been insane, especially for fans of the franchise, which I'm pretty sure everybody going to see it is. Because these films constantly make bucket loads of money, and that's why we keep getting them again and again. But that being said, the reveal of Han was still incredible, despite knowing it was already due to happen. So a little bit later on, the film kind of gets to its, just before its main climax of the action sequence. And we get a little bit of a slow, uh, I don't know how to describe it, it's a bit of a slow, melancholic journey for Vin okay, and it kind of felt a little bit out of place, I did enjoy it, the, the more I watch it, I do enjoy it, but it kind of sets the tone a little bit damper than it should be, so Dom's just about to, well, we presume he's dying, but, you know, he's, he's clearly not gonna die, but he's drowning, and it then goes into, like, a series of flashbacks, and he's seeing his son, and he's seeing the crash again, he's seeing his brother, he's seeing his dad on the phone, having financial issues, that's the whole reason he crashed, you know, we see Dom go on this journey, it's like a spiritual awakening, and okay, I'm all for these spiritual awakenings, but when we've seen the most ridiculous stunts you'll ever see in cinema, this contradicts it too harshly, and it doesn't really fit the tone of the film in general, but it was still fine, I did enjoy it, it was nice, it was very well shot, and there were some really smooth transitions, but okay, to put it into perspective, just seconds before this happens, we see Don literally kill people, and I'm not talking he just, you know, kills people off the whim, he fully breaks their spines, he hangs them, he just goes a bit nuts, and it was glorious, but it was really... It was really dark. I will admit, it was really dark. I wasn't expecting it. You hear Bones crunch, okay? And it was like he was copying some of Bane's moves in The Dark Knight Rises. Like, he fully grabs a person, swings him up over a railing, smashes him down onto his spine. (laughs) Smashes his spine, and then chucks him off. (laughs) And then he just goes loco, and he just starts pommeling these guys he just starts chucking them left right and center he starts whipping chains around their necks and chucking them off the side and hanging them it's like what dom is going crazy and then the spiritual awakening happens just seconds later <laughs> so why you know if, if this would happen like it, honestly i think the spine breaking shouldn't have happened because of the spiritual awakening it was one or the other i would rather see the spine breaking than the spiritual awakening but the spiritual awakening was needed to propel the story further. And then he's miraculously saved by Letty, And then immediately in the next scene after that, they talk about strapping rockets to their backs and going to space. So we've just had this spiritual awakening. Dom's obviously thought, family, we need to go to space. And it's like, okay then, we are really gonna go to space in the Fast and Furious franchise. But you know what? (laughs) At this point in the film, I'm I'm already sold, I'm already having a blast, this is going to be one of the worst films, or one of the best films I've ever seen, both at the same time is the best way to describe it, Space is no joke now, I, I'm happy for them to go, and they do, and it's, oh my goodness, it's just, yeah, it's a lot, so Tej and Roman get strapped onto the back of a plane, in a rocket car, they go straight up in the air, and they get ignited, blasting off into space, and they are fully in orbit, they are fully in orbit, Uh, yeah, I I don't know what else to say about that, they go to space, it's not that big of a deal apparently, but it's just, they go to space, I honestly cannot believe they went to space, so now I'm thinking, what the hell are they going to do in the next movie, how are they going to one-up space, are they literally going to go to the moon, are they going to have race wars on the moon, uh, it wouldn't surprise me, it really would not surprise me, because at this stage anything is possible, and physics are just not a thing, so yeah, why the hell not? All while this is happening with Tej and Roman up in space, I still cannot go over that. Dom and the team are on the ground going after Jacob and the rest of the bad guys, because they've got all the pieces of the puzzle, you know, they're, they're about to launch this deadly thing, whatever it is, it's not a virus, but it's just a Yeah, let's just call it a virus, but they're about to launch it, and that means bad things will happen, but luckily for Dom, they have magnets, and it's as if a child has thought, let's just play with magnets and stick them on the back of cars, but god, it works, and it is the most fun I've had at the cinema in a very, very long time. These scenes with the magnets are just on another level, They, they just are, they're just incredible. Once again, physics is not a thing, like I'm pretty sure physics would damage this reputation sincerely, but they just don't care, and you know what, just, just run with it, honestly just run with it, the one thing you've got to do with this film is run with it, you've just got to fully believe it and be into it, and you will have an absolute blast, so whilst the team are spinning around, throwing cars into one another, attracting them with magnets, then shooting the magnets in the opposite direction and exploding them to the sides of them I don't know how to describe it but it's like honestly when you get two negative ends and you push them together and that force repelling them that's what they do with the cars and it's just it's mesmerizing I hate saying this I really hate saying this but I doubt we will see anything like this again okay films that make me say this are such as you know any Christopher Nolan film okay Tenet and Dunkirk the likes of which you will never see again because the way they're filmed and the things that happen in there, they're incredible. You've really felt that you were in the cockpit of a Spitfire, the way Dunkirk was shot. You've really felt as if time could be reversed in Tenet, the way everything was shot and the way you were fully into it. You were never gonna see that the likes of that again. Unless they get a sequel, but you know I, I doubt that's actually gonna happen. But with Fast and Furious, I really doubt you will see this kind of stuff again and that kind of makes me sad, because I could watch this for hours, I maybe I'm just losing my mind, maybe after a year of not seeing any major big blockbusters at the cinema, I've lost my mind, and so I'm just in awe of this absolute monstrosity, but I can't help it, it's just, it's incredible to me, it really is, so the spinning cars around, they're attracting things, they're repelling things, they're doing so many crazy things, and I'm actually forgetting what the plot is at this point, and I think the writers at this stage forgot about it too, because it does get a bit too much style of a substance per se as if the films had any substance anyway. but then Jacob kind of switches teams I, I liked that I did like that how he came and he joined Dom again, and the film ends. the film ends really nicely for Jacob and Dom it's extremely reminiscent of the very first film with how Brian gave Dom a 10 second car and now Dom gives Jacob a 10 second car I did like that I did like how it's come full circle however the fact that this has come full circle but they're still planning two more movies that worries me that does worry me because the entire time I was watching this film I was thinking I think they should wrap these films up, I really think this franchise is reaching its limits, because this was very close to being just over the edge of pure nonsense, but it kind of secured a stage of nonsense but enjoyable, and I worry that they're going to try and one-up it in the next one, and it's just going to completely crumble and fail, so I am worried that we are reaching the stage now where they need to call it a day, and... (sighs) especially the way this film properly ends i don't want to see any more i'm a huge fan of the franchise but i really don't massively want to see any more and i feel like that's such a bummer note to say after having loved this film but i just think end something while it's on a high i really think they need to do that and for some this may not be a high for some this will be pure ridiculousness and stupidity and they would be right they would be absolutely right but to me, it was a high, and they should just realise how beautiful it could be if they just... I can't believe I'm calling a Fast and Furious film beautiful, but just end it now. Yeah, yeah, just... just. I'm really apprehensive about more films in this franchise. Spin-offs will be okay. They're rumoured to be doing a spin-off for Cipher, for Charlize Theron's character. I'm not entirely sure that's going to sell, because in the two movies she's been in... She's had two terrible haircuts, with bad dialogue, and not a lot of logic. And I don't really massively see what a solo film for her is going to do. She's a great actress, and she does her best. But, yeah, I'm just not sure how that's actually going to work for her to get her own film in this franchise. But we'll see. We will see. I mean, I was really hoping she would die in this film, because she's coming after them in a in the magnet plane again and Dom does the most stupid things, but it's incredible, and it's just sensational, the truck he's in is upside down, okay, the truck is upside down, and it's speeding down this road somehow, picking up pace, you know, I do not understand how it's traveling at the speed it is, but anyway, it is, and then it goes down this mud hill type thing, he decides he's going to stay in it, he goes back down, grabs a grenade, Gets back up to the roof, chucks a grenade in front of him, it explodes the truck, it then flips it over, he's then running through it in some Inception on steroids type situation, okay, he's running through a rotating truck on fire, rolling down a hill, trying to control it, it's just, uh, how, how does somebody even come up with this stuff, how? How? Please tell me how. I want to be in the writer's room when they come up with these films. Because that would be such an insane experience. And eventually he does manage to take control of the rig. He then drives it whilst it's still on fire and exploding. And then Cypher then fires some missiles at him. And he then somehow still drives it after being attacked by missiles. I don't know know what's going on, I don't know how many missiles it takes to actually destroy this vehicle, but then he manages to... (laughs) He manages to swerve it, he then does a really sharp left turn, he flips it, it then goes up a cliff, he then jumps out the door, and it blows up the jet, and that's pretty cool, that's really nice, you know, he blows it up, Cypher's dead, but then... Then we realise Cypher's in a completely different location. She's just in a drone mode for that magnet plane jet thing. So she's not actually dead, which is very annoying because I was really hoping she would die. But anyway, she's obviously going to probably come back for the next one. And then, yeah, she's 100% going to die in the next one, 100%. If they try and make her good, if they try and turn the villain good again, I'm going to be fuming because after two movies where I wish she would just die, she needs to die by the end of this, she really does, her time is up, right, death is calling, and his name is Dominic Toretto, but anyway, they save the day, they stop the bad guys, they are still in space, and there's a cheap gag about looking like a minion, which, to be fair, it was quite funny, but to me, I know this is just a marketing tool, because both this franchise, and the Despicable Me franchise, with all the minions, they are both distributed by Universal, so that's clearly just a, a nod to say, remember Minions? We've got Minions. By the way, there's a new Minions movie coming out next summer. But he didn't know that. Now they did because they just referenced it in a previous movie. So yeah, I did kind of think it was a bit cheap, but it was still quite funny. It did generate a laugh. I've honestly got to give this movie such a high benefit of doubt because it just made me laugh. It made me. It made me cry. It made me cry my eyes out at the end and I'll get onto that just now, this movie generated so many emotions, there was extreme thrills, there was tension, there was laughter, there was joy, there was sadness, there was sorrow, there was everything, there was so much in this movie, and that, I guess that is the power of family, but honestly, the ending, the ending just completely shattered me to my core, Because I've always been emotional about Paul Walker's death and what he brought to the franchise and what he brought to the world. And, you know, I'm still not over it. It's Still sad every day. You know, I I never understand how you can miss somebody that you've never even met. But that's just how I feel about losing Paul Walker. But yeah, anyway, this film ends with such such a cheap move that was so unnecessary. But I'm only bitter about it because it made me bawl my eyes out. I'm extremely bitter because there was no need to do what they did and so they could have just ended the movie like they usually do with a family barbecue with you know saying grace everybody's gathered around they have a nice meal they say some nice things and then it just ends but they're about to do that and little Brian's about to say grace and then they mention how there's an empty seat and I'm obviously like well that's Brian's seat of course and you know Brian isn't dead in this franchise which is important to know even though Paul Walker did die the characters you know he's still still living he's still a father with Mia and their two children and yet I was thinking okay just end it there please just end it there just just end it you know there's an empty seat that's we know who it is we know who it is just end it and it cuts to Vin Diesel and he's smiling, and I'm like, okay, cool, lovely way to end it, just end it, I'm fine, I'm fine, this is fine, at this point, I was like, I'm so ready to just laugh about this film, because it's just incredibly mesmerizing and ridiculous, I was so ready to come out saying how much I enjoyed it, and how much it made me laugh, and I was ready to laugh about it on the way home, that's the thing, and then it doesn't end there, and they really just, crush me they crush me eternally and once it cuts away from Vin smiling you see the blue skyline driving up the hill coming into the house and you just know that's Paul and it's just it, it's yeah I, I was lost for words mainly because I was just a sobbing wreck and it's annoying because I didn't take any tissues with me because I didn't think I was gonna cry because Fast and Furious 7 made me cry a lot of course it made everybody cry Fast and Furious 8 didn't make me cry because I felt The decision to call the child Brian made no sense to me because Brian isn't dead. If they named him Paul or Pablo or anything like that, that would have been tragic. I would have been so upset. But by naming it Brian, it just didn't do anything for me. It really didn't. I'm sorry to say that. But with this, I thought, I'm not going to cry. You know, there's nothing that's going to be sad about it. And then they go and throw that curveball into it. Completely unexpected. It was the most unexpected thing I've seen on a film in so long and it really just shattered me, it it just, yeah, it really, really, really broke me inside, and outside, because like I said, I was just sobbing in the cinema, vocally, shaking, I was, it was not good, it was not a good look, and maybe that's a good thing, because the emotions that these movies make me feel, maybe I'm stupid for that, because they are stupid films, but it's insane to me how these films genuinely capture emotions like that, and for that reason, I I love it, and I think it's just incredible, I really, really do, and I never thought, I I, I really never thought I would be sat here saying Fast and Furious 9 is one of the best films of the year, but it is, it really is, in every way imaginable, it's just fun, yes, it's physicless and yes, it's a drag in parts, and yes, there are so many things that make zero sense, the script is a bit hit or miss, but it's just, it's incredible, it's cinema, it is cinema, I cannot believe that, so all in all, I cannot recommend Fast and Furious 9 highly enough, it's so much better than Fast and Furious 8, it's one of the best in the franchise, it's not as good as 5, 6 or 7 to me, but it's still up there as one of the best, and this franchise is extremely hit or miss in the sense that You are either going to be here for it, or you're going to think it's the worst thing in the world. And on the one hand, it's both. I really think it's both, because I still cannot believe these movies, 20 years later, are still getting made to this extent. You had street racing in the first few films that were amazing, and now they're going to space, now they're messing with magnets. There's just such a difference. But it works. I don't know how it works, but it does. And like I said, I really never thought I would be saying this, but... I can't help it, and I've got to be truthful, that's the whole point of this podcast, and that's the whole point of me watching films, and expressing how I feel about them, and I loved this film, I loved this film, I loved the performances, I thought John Cena was great, I loved Vin Diesel in it, I loved everybody in it. I love the locations. I love the music. It had so many callbacks to previous films as well. It really did feel like it was tying everything up. And that's why I'm worried extending the franchise more is going to hurt its reputation. I mean, the reputation is already pretty low. But yeah, I, I just feel like this was a really neat conclusion to everything. But that's probably not going to be the case, considering this film grossed a quarter of a billion dollars before even being released in America and the UK and most of Europe. That's insane. China alone pretty much generated an insane amount of money (laughs) and these films are going to keep going for a very 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 long time. Maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's not. We'll see. We will have to see about it. So overall Fast and Furious 9. I, I loved it. I don't know what to give it out of 10 because I'm worried if I give any Fast and Furious movie higher than a 9. I would need to be shot, because, yeah, that that's not a good look for me. So I'm not going to rate it, but I am just going to say, it's one of the most fun films you will see all year, maybe ever. It genuinely is that good. It's just, you've just got to go with it. You've just got to believe. You've just got to roll with every single stupid thing that happens, and you will have an amazing time, just like I did, and just like so many people can. And especially if you've been a fan of films prior to this, I'd say definitely watch 3 because there are certain characters especially Ham that return from the third movie. The first movie is good to get the insight on Dom's past and now this is actually properly explored through flashbacks in this film. And then I'd say watch the 8th film cuz some of the characters are continuing across from it. So yeah, there's a lot of fun to be had with it. There's obviously a lot of mistakes with it and a lot of and a lot of things I just cannot explain like people could argue it with me and I will never be able to explain it, but I'm done trying to. I'm just here to have a good time with it and everybody else should be too. So this has been Fast and Furious 9, it's been a whirlwind experience but one that is extremely memorable and enjoyable and fascinating, just extremely fascinating. I've been Kieran and I hope you tune in to the next episode of You Can't Handle the Truth.